Well, as you know, we're in Ephesians, and we're in a section dealing with the uh, with spiritual warfare. Talking about the armor of God, Ephesians chapter six. Uh, I've started off several of these messages along this time, kind of in this, uh, a similar similar way. Uh, so I want to real quick talk about that again, uh, because I know for myself that a large part of my life I spent, um, you might call, in, in a bit of a roller coaster spiritually. Okay, now what have I said every week? I said roller coasters can be fun. Right? I mean, I love roller coasters. I love going up, down. I mean, just just great. I love, you know, okay, okay, we're right there. And I always think about in uh, Kings Island in Ohio, the beast, right? You just get up that big hill. I love the old wooden ones, though, although my neck hurts so bad when I'm done riding them anymore. Um, but I just love those old wooden ones. You just, down, you know, just, you know, scares you. And, and it's just so, so fun. But a roller coaster would be one big disappointment after another. If when you got on the ride, you thought your heading was the moon, right? I mean, someone came to you and said, you're, we're going to the moon. We're taking it all the way. Okay, you're riding. You're going up, and all of a sudden, oh, wait, where am I going? I mean, it'd be, it's fun, but I thought we were headed here. I thought this is where we were going. And some of us, our spiritual lives has, have been a bit like that. There's been some times where, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to do the right kinds of things. But it just seems like failure, 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 one time after another. And I, I have to be honest. I, there's been a lot of my life that, that has felt a bit like that. Shoot and then down. I'm living for God and then I'm not. I mean, and here I am. The passage that we're in, Paul uses a couple of words that are important. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about being strong. And this is a word that means established. Being strong in the Lord at the strength of His might. I mean, what he's talking about is saying, uh, be established with not your own strength, but the strength that comes from God. And I'd love to spend some time talking about that, but that was the first message in this, this particular Series And so we're going to move on from that, where Paul then begins to get into some nitty-gritty, like what's it mean to have the strength of God? What's that look like? And so he begins to go through this list of characteristics, you might call them, that uh, are going to accompany this, so they're the tools, so to speak. But, but Paul uses the illustration of armor. Uh, and you just, just imagine Paul, uh, who was... Jail, you know, put in jail more than once, probably saw several Roman soldiers, and he probably had this picture of this Roman soldier in his head, and he's thinking, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like armor that God has given us. And some of the things that are on this list are really interesting. Like, for the first one was truth. And he said this is kind of like the belt of truth. Your loins guard about with the belt of truth. And he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. He talked about this, this readiness. Your feet are shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Last week we talked about the shield of faith, our belief, how we believe in God, how we view God. What I think is interesting about the list is not just what's on it, but also what's not on it. Things that I would expect to be on it aren't there, like willpower, determination, fortitude, right? Just set your mind to something. Those aren't the things that God has given us to be. Now, those can be great things. 
But in this spiritual battle that we're in, there's a spiritual enemy that God says that we're fighting. And so the weapons that he's given us are these weapons, truth and righteousness. And this readiness comes from the gospel and the shield of faith. Well, this week, we're going to talk about the next part of that armor, Ephesians 6.17, which is salvation. 6.17 says this, and take the helmet of salvation. So the next part of the armor he's using is the helmet, and he says it's salvation. So to add to this list of items, we have salvation. Notice that he says in this passage, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, this word is different than any of the words that have been used so far. In the Greek, this word take is a word that means to receive from the hand of another. Okay, So this helmet of salvation is different. Instead of just picking it up, it's, it's specifically said to be received from the hand of another. That God's handing us this helmet of salvation. And notice this word salvation. Alright, now. This word salvation is an interesting word. It's a word that's fairly common in the English language. In America, we hear salvation, getting saved, right? We hear that in the spiritual context, what's that mean? What does the Bible actually teach about salvation? Now, there's a class that you can take called soteriology, and it's a whole class about salvation. We're not going to do that today. I don't think we have time. So, in looking at this helmet of salvation, I thought, okay, Lord, what's... What's one important aspect that we could talk about salvation today that would connect to it being part of the spiritual armor, but, but also might be something that might have been missed along the way? I mean, here we are. We're, we're in America. Year 2013. Is it possible that when we say saved even if we're talking about how the Bible talks about it, that isn't it possible that maybe there might be aspects of that salvation, what it means to be saved, that might have gotten lost along the way? Maybe how we talk about it isn't quite exactly how the Bible talks about it. And so, I want to offer up one element of teaching about salvation today. And I think this one aspect of teaching on salvation, I think that it might do two things. I think, one, it might clear up some thoughts. You might hear it and go, huh, I didn't know that about salvation. I didn't know that the Bible said that about being saved. I didn't know that. But I also think it might stir up some additional questions as well. I think you might get done today and go, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, then... You know, and that tends to happen sometimes. If you've heard different people talk about salvation different ways, you might go, well, wait a minute, I thought that... But what about... How's that... Well, I want to encourage you to do a couple things along the way. Uh, you have a bulletin that has space on there. If you have a pen, right? You've got a question. If I say something, you go, man, I just don't know if I understand that, or if, I don't know if I agree with that. Write your question down. Write that question down. You know, don't, don't, don't lose it. I also want to encourage you not to just take things at face value. Okay, uh, I, I would not want anybody in this room to say, "Well, well, Matt said it. I guess it's true." Right? I mean, frankly, you don't know me that well. Okay, I don't want you to take anything that I'm saying at face value. You know, what, the, the goal is to look at what does God's word say. And so today, I'm going to have a lot of scripture. There's going to be a lot of references, so I also want to encourage you to write down some of those references. If, if there's one that you wanted to write down and you, you miss it, 
Ask me afterwards. I'll go back and we'll, we'll pull it up there, right? I'll let you see what it was. All right, so this one teaching about salvation. This one aspect, I want to put a, 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 a comment up here first to kind of get your, your brains thinking the right way, get the brain juices flowing. Uh, tell you why it's important to understand salvation. Okay, Now, salvation is a, it's, it's handed to us, according to Paul. It's the helmet of salvation is handed to us. But why is salvation, understanding it, so important? Now, I'm going to give you a reason why I believe that it's very important. And I think it's tied to uh, what Paul just said, the fact that it's a helmet. So I wanted to come up with a really witty way to say this, but I, I couldn't think of any good ways of saying it, so I just said it this way. I said, understanding salvation is important because Satan likes to mess with your head. Now, I'm saying that based on the passage of Scripture. I, I don't think it's a coincidence Paul chose the helmet for salvation. But i got to be honest, just from personal experience as well, Satan likes to mess with my head. I think also from Scripture, there's, there's so many places where you see how Satan works, the types of things that he does. Messes, it's messing with how you think about stuff and how you see things. I believe that Satan likes to mess with your head. And so I think it's very fitting that salvation is given to us as a helmet to protect the head. Now there's a whole lot of aspects that we can talk about, but like I said, we're going to talk about one thing. And here it is, okay? This one element of salvation I want to try to teach you today and try to illustrate this for you. And it's this. There is a past, present, and future understanding of salvation in the Bible. Okay? In the Bible, when the Bible talks about salvation, getting saved, like if you just look at the word saved and salvation and and how the different authors talk about it, in Scripture, there is a past... Sometimes it talks about salvation in the past, something that's happened. Sometimes it talks about salvation like it's something that's happening now. And sometimes it talks about salvation like it's something that's going to happen. There's a past, present, and future. And I think if you ignore any part of this, it can lead to trouble in your understanding of salvation, which opens up a door for Satan to mess with your head, right? Let me put it a different way. In the Bible, when it talks about getting saved, sometimes it says you, you have been saved. Sometimes it says, literally, you are being saved. And sometimes it says, you will be saved. You have been, you're being, and you will be. This is so important to understand about what the Bible says about salvation, being saved. What's it mean to be saved? Okay, this, you have to understand this. If you're going to understand what the Bible's talking about when it says saved, you've got to understand that the Bible doesn't talk about it just... In one way, it talks about it, past, present, and future. Okay, let's turn to some scriptures here. And if you don't want to turn to these, I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of these up on the, the slides for you so you can see them. I would encourage you to at least write down the references. Okay, uh, so if you have questions about it, you can always look at that reference and look what's around it. It's called the context, right? You look at what's around it. Is there something there you're like, wait, is that really what that means? Look around it, right? Let's start. With uh, the book of the Bible that we're in, Ephesians 2. So let's look at Ephesians 2.8. Notice it says this. For by grace, you what? Have been saved. See, here it's talking about in the past tense. By grace. See, if you've been saved, if you have been saved, it happened by God's good, good grace. Right? God's good grace, you've been saved. For by grace, you have been saved. And this saving that happened, happened through 
faith. And he goes on to say, in this, this faith is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. In other words, I mean, God's, God's taking responsibility for the this, this saving. He's the God who saves. And so, it's saying here, hey, for by grace you have been saved. Here it is talking about in past tense. Or uh, we could go a little bit, fur- a little bit further back in Ephesians. Ephesians one thirteen says this: In Him, now this is talking about Jesus. In the context, talking about Jesus. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, this is something that happened. See, it's talking about past tense. So when you heard, so there. So this is what's happening. So my sin there, they're, they're listening to the gospel. They hear it, and, and, and something inside happens, and they believe it. They go, man, I believe that. Right? Something happens. Something literally happens. They're sealed with the Spirit of God. I mean, that's what, that's what Paul says. You're sealed. It goes on to say that seal, imagine a, an envelope with a wax stamp on it, a little melted wax, and seal it like that to make sure that it doesn't get open like this is the guarantee. This is the authentic thing. And Paul goes on to say after this, that's the guarantee, the seal of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, understanding this aspect of salvation is very important. I'm going to give you a reason here. Knowing this aspect of salvation is important because Satan is an accuser. Satan's an accuser. See, understanding that if you've been saved... See, Satan likes to accuse you. He likes to come up and say, Here, I'll just give you for me. Uh, when I was going to college, I, I was—I kept thinking I should be a pastor, and I kept talking myself out of it because I knew me. I can't be a pastor. I'm, you know, I'm a wicked person. I can't be a pastor. And Satan was constantly, "You can't be that. You can't do that because of who you are. I know you, right? Satan, I know you, and you know you. You know, get back in line, Matt. You know, you're not." You can't serve God because of who you've been. But see, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you. Now this such were some of you. Paul, right before this, was talking about this whole big list of sins where he includes things like murders and adultery and homosexuality and he's listing these sins off. And, And by the way, Paul was a murderer himself, was he not? Murdering Christians. And what's Paul say? He gives this big long list of sins and he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Sanctified means set apart for God's purposes. Right? Like special China. Set apart for God. You were justified. Justified means you were declared legally righteous. The the gavel came down and God said, This person is righteous in my sight. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It happened by the Spirit of God this happened. See, Satan likes to accuse you. He's like, yeah, but you know who you were. So? You're right, I know who I was, but I was, I was washed. I was set apart for God's purposes. Believe it or not, Satan, God takes sinners and saves them. I mean, this is the very aspect. If you're here today and you don't think you're a sinner, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> this room is full of sinners. This room is full of people who, who have sinned against God. They, they've, they've committed treason to the high king of the universe. But God saves sinners. 
Knowing this is important because Satan likes to accuse us. Now, many of us have stopped at that aspect of salvation, and, and we've left our understanding of salvation right there. But remember, there's a past, there's a present, and a future understanding of salvation in the Bible. Listen to this next passage, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.18. Before this passage, actually, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul's talking about those people who aren't believers, they're not followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the word of the cross, like that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, and you, you trust in this, and this word of the cross, it's foolishness, it's silliness to people who are perishing. But what does it say here? But to us who are what? Read that. To us who are being saved. Interesting. Not, not to us who have been saved, but to, us to, to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. What's it? To the tense has changed. It's not just been saved. It's In this case, Paul talks about it like it's something that's continuing to happen. Or listen to this passage in Peter. Peter talks about it too. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Right? That by it you may grow up into salvation. Wait a minute. I thought you just got saved and that was it. Not according to the scriptures. Sometimes it talks about like something that happened. Sometimes it talks about like something that's happening. Grow up into salvation. Let me tell you why this is important. Knowing this aspect of salvation is important because Satan, not only is he an accuser, like to bring up your past against you, he's working today because he wants you to fall away from God again. He's a tempter. Knowing this aspect of salvation, that this salvation is an ongoing thing, is important to understand because Satan wants to tempt you to sin. He wants to get you to sin now. He's working on you. And here's the thing. You don't have to sin if you're a child of God. You don't have to give in. Uh, this is something we've talked about a lot in, in, in our services together, that God has given us, in fact, Ephesians 1.13, we talked about it just a minute ago, God has given us this, His Spirit to dwell in you. Now, the illustration I've used several times, you're probably getting tired of, so I don't have to get a new one, is, is if I came up to you today and I said, I said I've, got, I've got the spirit of Michael Jordan living in me, right? And then you toss me a basketball, what would you expect to see? Expect to see some amazing basketball skills, wouldn't you? If I got the spirit of Michael Jordan living in me, I'm sure as old as he is, he's still pretty good. <laughs> I'm sure he could beat me. Well, how, what, what's the difference? I mean, if, if we say as Christians that the spirit of God is in you, you should be seeing some divine stuff happening, shouldn't you? I mean, God's living in you? Really? Yeah, that's, that's what we're saying as Christians. Well, you should see some form of result of that. So knowing this aspect of salvation is important because Satan is a tempter. Now, I don't know about you, but this, has been, this was a huge struggle in my life for the longest time. I was convinced there was things that I couldn't stop doing. Convinced. Things I knew were wrong, but I, I just felt like, man, I just can't beat this in my life. But when this truth came in, understanding that salvation is not just something that's happened, but something that's continuing to happen now, and that the Spirit of God is living in me, that understanding, that, that aspect of the helmet of salvation changed my life. I don't have to... I mean, I was able to... Satan was 
do this, do this. I was able to go, no. <laughs> I don't have to do that. Every ounce of my flesh might be leaning in that direction to, to, to think I, I want to go this way, whatever that sin might be. I don't have to. i got the power of the Spirit of God in me. I can live for God now. I'm free to do what God wants me to do. Listen to this passage. This, this understanding of salvation uh, is, is necessary to understand this next verse. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, see that is a, if, if your understanding of salvation is something that, that happened in the past, then the verse like this doesn't make any sense. But if you understand that salvation is something that God did in the past and He's continuing to do right now, because listen to the rest of this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, God is continuing this work. What He started, He's going to keep doing. So you're working it out. You're working this salvation out. This thing that God started in the past is going to keep happening, and it's, it's Him doing it. So you can with confidence say, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to do something for God today because God is working in you. And you can have confidence to go out and do the things that God wants you to do, the things that you know. I'm, I'm convinced, I say this too often, but I'm convinced that most of you in the room, it's not a question of not knowing what God wants you to do. You just don't want to do it. Most of us pretty much know what God has said, hey, I want you to do this or do this or do this or do this. Frankly, we, we just... It's hard. And I don't really want to do it that much. And so I, I feel like the, the biggest issue from the this pulpit that we need to talk about is not, this is what you need to do, but understanding that God has already given you the strength and the ability. If you're following Jesus, if you're trusting in Him, your faith is in God, God has given you the ability to do. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. True, genuine salvation. Truly being saved. Paul uses this word salvation sometimes not in the spiritual sense, but in, in other ways. Like one time he talks about being in prison. He says, I think I'm going to be delivered. But it's the same Greek word. I'm going to be saved, pulled out. So salvation has this idea of being delivered from something, being taken away from something, and being restored. The, the gospel is the, the power of God. But now, I know I've talked about this as well before. But this is so important. That this past salvation, because really that's what a lot of us are concerned about. Am I saved? Did I get saved? Am I really saved? Is, did this happen? Am I washed? Am I cleansed? Am I justified before God? Am I okay? Right? I mean, that's the question. Am I okay? Like, if I saw God right now, would he be like, okay, come on in, right? Is it okay between me and him? Are we in a good standing here? If your view of salvation is only looking at this past aspect, it's very difficult to have a strong assurance of salvation when you start reading the Bible. You know why? Because I can't go, okay, I'm going to show you I'm saved, and go, you know, and pull out, here's my faith, see? Right? I can't do that, can I? Here's, here's my belief. See, I, I can show you that I believe in God because here you go. In, in the book of James, James talks about it. He says some people say they, they can show people their faith without works. James is saying, how do you do that? How do you show somebody faith 
It's an intangible. Lord, the, how about the fact that it says that we've been washed? When someone gets saved, how do you know you've been washed? Well, I remember it. Well, how do you know that you're remembering it right? I mean, the Bible does say that there are people who think they're going to heaven and don't. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talks about there are, there are in fact, he says many people who are going to stand before God one day, completely convinced they're on their way to heaven, and they're not going there. Completely convinced. So how do you, how do you know for sure? Well, how do I know this faith? that? It, I mean, I think I believe in God, but how do I know if it's here? Well, if you understand this big picture view of salvation, that it's not just past, but it's present, the present aspect of salvation, what God is doing now, is what gives you the assurance that it has happened. And in the Bible, that's the only way that you can know that this past salvation has happened in your life. So let me put it this way. To be assured that you have been saved, right? The have been. To be assured that you have been saved comes from seeing that you are being saved. See, whether you like it or not, God created you as a... I'm going to call it this. I don't want to sound too geeky here, but you're a temporal being. In other words, you live in one moment of time. Okay, now that, when I said that a second ago, you live in one moment of time, that time has passed. I'm not there anymore, am I? I'm in this new moment. To yesterday, can I go back and see yesterday again? No, I, I live in a moment. And as soon as this moment's gone, I'm in the next moment. As soon as this moment's gone, I'm in the next. I mean, you're stuck flowing through time. You can't do anything to slow it down. Some of you wish you could, right? Sometimes you wish you could speed it up. But you're stuck in time. To be assured that you have been saved because you are a person that exists in moments of time, unlike God, the assurance comes from not what you remember, but from what God is doing right now. Because God is the God of salvation. Now let me show you some passages of Scripture that say this exact thing. This is one of those passages that might make you think, whoa, wait a minute, this is different than what I've learned and been taught. Let's look at 1 John. 1 John is an important book of the Bible because 1 John is the only book of the Bible that says this is how you can know that you are saved. Okay, So if you're ever going, I just want to know for sure that I'm saved. The only place in the Bible you can go that talks about how you can know it. A lot of places talk about how you can be saved. But 1 John is the only place that talks about how you can know that you are. It says this, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6. through 6. I'm going to read uh, one of the sections out of this. It says, By this we know that we have come to know Him. If we what? Keep his commandments. Interesting. And that goes really different than what I've been, I've been learning. I thought you were saved by faith through grace. What, what happened to that? Where did the faith go in this verse? It's not there, is it? Or is it? See, if you believe something, it determines what you do. And if you have genuine faith, faith reveals itself and shows itself by how you Live. That's just a fact of life. It's ridiculous to say, I have faith in something that I don't trust. <laughs> I trust God. You know, Jesus says it to his followers one time. He says, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? See, it's silly. Lord, but I'm not going to do what you say. <laughs> well, then you're obviously he's not your Lord, is he? If he's your Lord, you do what he says. He goes on. Whoever says, I know him. Now this, oh man, you live in America. 99% of the people I meet, oh yeah, I know God. I know God. I know who He is. Right? 
I know him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. That's kind of harsh, John. John's not trying to be harsh. He's just saying this is reality. You say you know God, but you don't do what God says. You, you, You don't know God. What's he say next? But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. See, this, this is how you know. How do you know? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. See, he's not talking about perfection here. He's not talking about, oh, I'm a perfect holy person. It's just saying simply, I, if I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus. If I say I'm following Jesus, I should actually be following Jesus. Listen to this one. 1 John chapter 4. We'll go a little bit later in 1 John. He says, if anyone says, I love God. Now, this is another one I hear all the time. You ever heard anybody say this? Oh, I love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. Now, let me specify something. In the Bible, when it says brother, it is not talking about the brotherhood of mankind. In the Bible, when it talks about brother, it's talking about other people who are followers of Jesus. Hmm. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. How many times have you heard somebody say, I love God, but man, I hate going to church. All those Christians there. Well, there's something off with that. John says, how can you say, I love God, but then hate all the other people that say that they love God? Well, they're jerks. (laughs) Well, so are you. You're a sinner too. We're all sinners here. You're not going to find... A church full of perfect people. If you do, run away. (laughs) Come here. (laughs) We're messed up. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. See, we we want to love each other because, not because, I I don't want to love all you people in this room because you're so wonderful and great. I want to love you because I love God. And notice what he says. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen can't love God whom he has not seen. If you can't love these people that are right around you, that you can see with your own physical eyes, how can you say you love God? That doesn't make any sense. So the Bible teaches this ongoing aspect of salvation, that it's not just past, but it's present. And the present reality of salvation is how you know you were saved in the past, because you see it happening still. But now, the big question that everybody always wants to know about, what about the future? Because I would not be surprised if some of you in the room, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all. I really don't think it's a bad thing at all. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you in the room, your biggest concern about salvation is not really whether or not you've been washed and cleansed. Like, that's kind of important to you. But what you really want to know about, I mean, you may not even be that concerned that God is saving you now, helping you live the way he wants you to do. You kind of like that, but that's not really the biggest thing. I just want to know that when I die, if, if there's a heaven and a hell, I don't want to go to the bad one. I mean, as simple as that, that's, that's what it comes right down to. I just, I just don't want to go to hell. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's one. I, I've heard that a lot in my life, and so I just don't want to go there. I want to go to heaven. You know, does everybody go? Does some people go? What, how's it work? I want to know if, there's, if there is an option at the end, I'm going to the right place. Right? I wouldn't be surprised if several years ago, that's, that's really my big concern. I mean, this other stuff is great. I really want to live for God. That sounds great. And I want to live for Him here. And I want to make sure that I'm right with God, that I've been justified. But man, I just want to know about this end. 
the Bible does talk about salvation sometimes in the future. Listen to Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Are you all awake? For salvation... Now listen to this. This is really weird. Unless you understand that there's a past, present, and future aspect of salvation, this verse won't make sense unless you understand that. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. See, that doesn't make any sense unless you understand that there's a future aspect of salvation. There's an aspect of salvation that I'm a lot closer to now than I was when I first believed. So when I first believed, I was justified, I was sanctified, I was cleansed, washed, the whole nine yards. But yet Paul can still say, now we're close to the end, you're closer to it now than you were when you first believed. Well, that doesn't make sense unless you understand that there's aspects of salvation that, have, that you have been saved completely. That you're being saved completely. And that you're going to be saved completely. See, if you don't understand that, then, then a lot of these verses don't make sense. And maybe you've felt that before. Maybe you've read the Bible and you're like, man, this doesn't make sense. I don't get why this... This is an important aspect of understanding salvation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, let me read this one to you. Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, And just as it is uh, appointed to man for man uh, to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been once offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he did that on the cross, right? Not to deal with sin, but to, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So these people that are, are eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back, he's going to save them. Well, I thought he'd already saved them. If he saved them because they're believing in him and waiting on him, right? Knowing this truth, though, is important. Knowing the past aspect of salvation is important because Satan is an accuser. Knowing the present reality of salvation is important because Satan is, is a tempter. Knowing the future aspect of salvation is important because Satan is a liar. Satan's a liar. He wants to destroy this hope of this future salvation that you're going to be eternally with God. He wants to get your eyes off of that and just be thinking about, I want God to save me right here, right now from these hard times. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, a similar passage to what we're in, Paul's talking about these aspects of spiritual warfare. And he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, he says this time, not just of salvation, but the hope of salvation. This future deliverance. Not just delivered from the condemnation of sin. Not just delivered from the power of sin right now. Right? But one day delivered completely from death as well. To live eternally with Him. Paul gets this this imagery of this helmet from the Old Testament. Isaiah 59, 17 says this, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now what's interesting is that in this verse it's talking about God. God put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. God did that. Yet Paul, when he talks about it, he's talking about us doing this. In Paul's day, a helmet was not just to protect the head. It was also a way of identifying. 
frankly, whose side you're on, which would make a lot of sense because whether whichever side you're on, you want to know who's the good guys and who's the bad guys, right? Imagine going out into a battlefield with swords and shields and not knowing if this guy here, I mean, is on your side or not. You can see those Roman soldiers with the big plumes on the top of their head, right? Identifying. Sometimes they have little things painted on the side of the helmet identifying who they are, where they're from. You see, salvation in the Bible is very, very personal to the God that we serve. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, uh, when it's talking about God, it takes him out and just talks about him as if he is himself salvation. Listen to this. Isaiah 12, 2 says this. Behold, God is my salvation. Right? He is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. My hope of salvation, deliverance from this world, and and whether it be from condemnation because I know I'm a sinner, or whether I want deliverance now because I I, want to live for God and I feel like I'm under the power of sin, but I want to be free of that so I can live and do the things that God wants me to do so I, I can look into the future and know. Well, here's the thing. Your salvation, your hope, isn't just something God did, but it is God Himself. Isn't that great? There's a very personal interest in there. In fact, it's so personal that listen to what Jesus says about salvation of His own disciples. He says this, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He's given me, but raise it up on the last day. See, this eternal future hope of salvation. Jesus says, you know who's going to make sure it happens? Jesus. He says, I'm not going to lose one person that's been given to me. Not one. I will do this work of salvation. I will accomplish it. So let's say it this way. Our past present and future salvation is intimately connected with our past, present, and future Lord. Hebrews says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's eternal. And this work of salvation is something that He takes very personally. Listen to all three aspects of salvation in this next verse, Philippians 1.6. Paul writes this, I'm sure of this, I'm confident, some versions say, I'm confident of this. And he wants you to be confident of this. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, right, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see all parts of the salvation working on in that verse? But notice who's doing it. You, Jesus. The one that starts the good work. And now some versions put it this way. They say, he who began the good work and you will, uh, will, will keep performing it. Now the reason why that it goes that way is because that will bring it to is a word that's in the, like the ongoing context, right? The ongoing sense. It's, it's happening. See, that's that present reality of salvation. He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to do the whole thing. God is the God of salvation. He is your salvation. In fact, it's so personal to who Jesus is that his followers can make bold statements like this. And there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Just Jesus. He's really good at it, though. This is a big salvation. This salvation might be bigger than what you thought salvation was. Maybe you thought salvation was simply, okay, I I prayed this prayer and so I'm saved, right? And so I'm good. I'm all right, right? right, Because I did this thing. Or maybe maybe you thought it was baptism. Okay, I prayed and then I was baptized too, right? Because see, I'm done. Okay, I'm good, right? Good? Salvation is, is a big, amazing work that God does in the life of degenerate people like us. And his salvation isn't cheap and flimsy. Not only does it set you right with an almighty God who's just and good, but it then begins to change you, and he'll take it all the way to the end. He doesn't drop the ball. This is why the author of Hebrews can say a statement like this. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I come to you now and I ask you that you would take these words of yours or that you would or make them like missiles, Lord, headed to our hearts. Lord, your salvation is wonderful. I don't know if we could know fully. I pray that we would know fully, but I don't know if we can know fully the, the height and depth, the love of Christ. But I pray for those in this room that may have had a limited understanding of your salvation, God, uh, which is probably all of us. I pray that you would grow our understanding of salvation today. That we would have a big view of it. A big understanding. Lord, I pray that that salvation, that understanding of what salvation is, is would be like a helmet on our heads. Lord, helping us, Lord, when Satan seeks to uh, uh, accuse us because of our past, let us cling to that great salvation that you've washed us. When Satan tries to bring us down now that we can't live for God, Lord, help us to realize that the salvation that you're working in us is powerful, full of the Spirit of God, that we might be able to live for you. Help us to remember, Lord, when Satan tries to get us down and get us focused on short-term goals. Help us to remember the salvation that you're going to carry to completion. And let us, Lord, have our eyes set on the prize at the end. Lord, I pray that you would today, or something that we can't see, I pray that you would today, with the people that are in this room, Lord, that they're thinking, I, I, I believe this, I trust this. God, I pray that you would work salvation, that you would begin that work of salvation in the hearts of those that are in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would then complete it. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.